Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. The NCAA must allow education-related compensation to student-athletes. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court ruled unanimously this week, and it's a pretty significant moment for NCAA athletes who have been fighting for years to be compensated for the enormous revenue they generate for the league and for their respective schools. This is an issue, of course, that has been knocking around college campuses for a really long time, and in the last five or six years, I feel like there's been a real sense of momentum building toward change. The idea of college athletes who are only compensated through scholarships uh, and meal service and things like that is probably a thing of the past. It is probably going to be something that uh, we'll talk about uh, as history sooner rather than later. But the question is, What is the model for the future, and how significant are each of these changes as they unfold in front of us? That is where we begin the conversation today, and my next guest says this U.S. Supreme Court ruling is meaningful, but not monumental. Echo Yanka is a professor of law at Cardozo School of Law at Yeshiva University in New York City, and he joins us now to talk about what happened this week. Uh, Echo, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So let's start with what this ruling does and what it does not do. Sure. So um, as you touched upon, we had a group of college athletes, uh, Alston is the named uh, plaintiff, but we have a group of college athletes who said, look, the NCAA is more or less a cartel, right? It's in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is it gets together and it colludes, and it stops me from uh, working on the open market by capping the benefits I can get. And the students, of course, exactly as you touched upon, were suing for the whole nine yards, right? They, they wanted... Um, the NCAA's control over compensation erased. Uh, The Ninth Circuit split the baby, as it were. It said, look, the NCAA's arguments are a little shaky. We're not sure exactly what they mean by amateurism. They haven't even defined it. Um, So we're not sure why we should give them credence, but it's plausible, plausible that there is a difference between college and um, pro sports that needs to be preserved. What's less plausible is why the NCAA should be able to tell the colleges how much they can offer students in educational benefits. In fact, as the district court points out, offering more in educational benefits doesn't blur the line between pros and college athletes. If anything, it reinforces the line that you're not getting paid for touchdowns, you're getting paid for uh, student needs. Mm. And so that argument, we just can't see standing at all. And the NCAA quite ridiculously, in my opinion, quite mysteriously (laughs) appealed that. And the Supreme Court, as you mentioned, ruled nine to zero that, look, whatever else is true of the NCAA, whatever other restrictions they can they can enforce, they cannot they cannot restrict what member colleges give to student athletes in relation to education. So you you say this is meaningful, but not uh, monumental. Expand uh, on that idea for us. Sure. Well, it's 
monumental means the social and political debate that's been really roiling the country, which is to what extent are college athletics exploitative? And in particular, to what extent are college athletics uh, racially exploitative as well? Then this this um, ruling doesn't settle that debate. It doesn't settle the fundamental debate that everybody talks about over a beer on college football Saturdays. Should student-athletes get paid? But of course, the language in the case uh, threw a lot of suspicion on the NCAA argument. It sort of, um, it, it looked side-eye at their their easy invocation of, we're the NCAA, this is all about amateurism, we know what's best, trust us. And of course, Brett Kavanaugh's concurrence, that is an opinion that agreed but wanted to lay out its own reasoning, mm-hmm. that, that we call a concurrence, um, just unleashed blistering language. Brett Kavanaugh gave us what sometimes we teasingly refer to as a bring me a case concurrence, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Hey, guys, I think these arguments are ridiculous. If you find the right case, you know you have my vote kind of concurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the analogy I've been overusing is, you know, when people ask me, is this monumental? And the, the headlines have been screaming and people have been telling us this is the most significant. Look, I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to downplay it. I think this is like when you live next to a volcano if you hear the ground rumbling, is that monumental? Well, it's not the volcano exploding, but you're not ignoring <laughs> it when the ground rumbles, right? <laughs> if the ground rumbles... It's coming it's for you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, we can quibble over monumental. I think this is meaningful. I think it's significant. I think it portends a lot. Um, but the but the big explosion, the, the big reshaping question remains to be settled. Yeah. So so I said in the open that uh, I believe we've now reached the point where it seems unlikely that the current state of college football where athletes still really are not not compensated for for their athletic performance is going to hold much longer. I mean it it feels as though the momentum is all built up toward some some real change uh, in that way. I, I wonder if you feel like that's true and how long you think it will take to figure out what a new model might look like. So, you know, what's the old joke? Predictions are hard, especially about the future. Yes. Um, <laughs> look, if I were a betting man, um, I would I would bet with you. I would say... You know, there's such a political groundswell. Um, the NCAA got ruled on nine to zero. People are hysterical about this opinion, um, but but they are they've taken notice for a reason. Um, every state across the country is enacting uh, name, image, and likeness rights. Right? It, those that are the real question is how fast can you get it done? Including Michigan, of course. Um, and I, I saw the Ohio Senate recently introduced a bill with one senator, uh, one state senator explicitly saying we can't let Michigan beat us. Right? So <laughs> Buckeyes and Wolverines are fighting you even in legislation <laughs> in that sense. Um, and of course, when the NCAA through Senator, uh, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio introduced essentially its name and image and likeness bill, which was obviously trying to forestall that, um, it more or less got laughed off the floor, right? So we, we are seeing in law, in politics, and in uh, the courts, the NCAA has very few friends left. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that, that's where the groundswell is heading. How fast it goes, I'm not entirely sure, but that's where the groundswell is heading. Uh, as you may know, I'm actually one of the few people, um, despite the very thoughtful arguments of many of my friends and, and despite the fact that I very much see the counterarguments, I'm one of the people who worries that um, this actually doesn't respond to the core of what people worry about with student exploitation, student-athlete mm-hmm. exploitation. Um, and I wonder if some if somewhere along the line we'll either wonder and reconfigure what we're aiming at or regret where we got to. But I think you're right that that's where the groundswell is heading. I'm talking with uh, Echo Yanka. He is a professor of law at Cardozo School of Law at Yeshiva University in New York. We're talking about the Supreme Court ruling this week that says that uh, you cannot, the NCAA cannot put a cap on educational-related expenses and force colleges to just give as much money as they want uh, without violating antitrust rules. A pretty significant ruling about the nature of college sports, the nature of amateurism as it relates to college sports. A pretty big decision in the line of uh, of decisions and and changes that seem to be pushing college sports away from the model that we have known forever, which is that college athletes get their tuition paid and some other kinds of expenses compensated, but that they aren't really paid for their athletic performance because they're considered uh, amateurs. We would love to hear from you during this conversation as well. Do you think the NCAA should just be paying college athletes? Why? Or why not? Uh, Do you think that college athletes should be allowed to form unions? Which is another conversation that has been around for some time now about the nature of college sports. Uh, Do you think we're headed in a direction away from the amateurism that we all kind of think of and glorify when we think of college athletes playing on uh, the football field or the basketball court or the baseball diamond? Uh, And if so, what do you think it will mean for the product of college sports more generally? Do you think it ruins the idea of college sports to have the athletes treated as professionals, to have them paid, even if it's not quite the way professional athletes uh, earn money. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work you into the, into the show that way. Let's start today with Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to the show. Yep, Chuck, you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm getting the control room there for a minute. It's good to talk with you. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. Um, so uh, by, by way of uh, uh, qualification or disqualification, my interest in this is that I'm a, a Michigan season ticket holder and as such a Victor's Club member and a booster mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and uh, an alum. And um, I hate this decision. And uh, even though I'm a lawyer, I'm not going to argue the, the Sherman antitrust details with the uh, with your guest um i'm i'm actually very pleased it's been a wonderful interview and a good discussion I, i'm 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 pleased to hear him uh, suggest that it's a that it's actually a, a narrow ruling i've heard that in some quarters and of course we've all heard that it's a that it's a monumental ruling mm-hmm. uh, i just wanted to i just wanted to point out from the perspective of me as one of the paying customers as opposed to someone who just reads about it in the newspaper and watches the game on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is a, this is bad policy from, from my perspective. 
and it's a, a very bad ruling and a bad result. I see collegiate, intercollegiate football and basketball players becoming less and less student athletes. And it's not just this ruling. It's been going on for a long time. Um, they're, they're, they're getting out of college earlier to go to the pros. Um, they're less and less normal students. You know, when you and I were on campus, I was on campus before you were, mm-hmm. um, the, the football players had some special uh, treatment. Um, it's very different now. Um, with, the, with the graduation rate monitoring, you know, these kids are there all summer. Um, they go to school. They practice. They work out on their own or with the team. Um, they're getting tutored in their own building on campus. Um, just they're not they're not students the same way that uh, football players were students in the 70s and 80s. And you know people people gripe about players making you know gigantic revenue for the NCAA and the university. It is just rev- revenue. Nobody's making a profit here. So let's be clear about that. Um, it's revenue that goes to other sports, including women's sports, mm-hmm. um, per Title IX. But, but in any event, it, the, 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 the money is it, – it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys that's paying the money, and it's getting more and more expensive um, to pay for my um, seating donation and, and the tickets. Yeah. And, and we're getting abused as fans. Uh, they, they jerk us around on the starting times for games. Um, the games are interrupted by long commercial breaks. Um, it's it, it's it's less and less of a satisfying experience for me. Yeah. And I would like the students to be more like student athletes hmm. and less so, like quasi um, professionals. Yeah. So 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 Chuck, I, I, I love I, I love the the perspective that you're you're bringing to this. Um, even if I don't agree 100 percent with 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 where you're coming from, but. When you say that no one's making money, I mean, no one at the university, the university is not making money off of this, right? I mean, the university is churning that revenue into costs uh, that, that, that are associated with other sports. But certainly the coaches are making a lot of money and a lot more money than they did when you or I were students at, uh, at at U of M. I mean, Jim Harbaugh makes millions and millions of dollars every year, and Bo Schembechler never made more than about 250000 I believe. Um, but also, there's all this other revenue that goes to people who are making a lot of money. I mean, the television money, the radio money, uh, the, the commercial aspects of all of this are making some people quite rich off of this product that these unpaid athletes uh, are, are, are producing. I, I, I wonder what you, what you make of that. Uh, well, I, I agree with you. And you're right. You're, you're completely right. And it's and so much salary, money now. Yeah. Coaching salaries is a very, very big uh, component of rising costs in the athletic department. Uh, I will say I've looked at athletic department revenue numbers before, and I think you would be surprised at um, the, the the close comparison, the modest amount that Michigan gets from its Big Ten uh, network uh, television contract versus what it gets from ticket sales, donations, sure. and unrestricted giving. Um, they're very, very close. It's not like Michigan is, a, is fully a TV product and ticket sales are minor. 
right. um, ticket sales and, and donations. They're, they're, believe me, Stephen, they're coming back to me every month of the year asking for more money. <laughs> for more money. To fund oh, the know. department. It's not like they're rolling in money. But you but you've talked about coaching salaries and other expenses, and you're absolutely right. Let's do something about that. I, I wish I wish we could address that without yeah. turning these student athletes into little professionals. That that's I just don't like that. I've never liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck, I really I really appreciate the call and and the really thoughtful uh uh approach that you're taking to all of this. Uh Echo Yanka, I wonder what your reaction is to what to what Chuck's saying there. Yeah, I mean, I, I happen to agree. I mean, I think Chuck is both right and wrong and and I agree it was a thoughtful set of comments. Um there's there's a lot on the table, right? Um so some things I disagree with. I mean, it's not true that Michigan doesn't make a lot of money, and I, I don't think it's fair to say that the um, the TV dollars are modest in comparison. I mean, he's right, of course, that the TV dollars are in some ways uh, racing against the ticket sales, the ticket and sales, yeah, the donations, yeah. Um, but but that's to point out that the TV dollars are doubling that, and and the TV dollars go up every every time there's a new contract. Frankly, they go up every season. Um, but, but, you know, um, so, so we have this impulse and it's been there. One thing that the Supreme court decision did was point out that the money impulse has been there since the very beginning. Right. Um, and you know, it's also a mixed question whether or not, um, whether or not college athletics is, is hugely Mm money-making. What is true is that Michigan doesn't make a profit. But that's only true because Michigan is not supposed to make a profit. So you have yeah, this weird kind of business model. Exactly. So you have this weird business model. And we all know what it really is, right? So what it is is the big revenue-producing sports pay for everybody else's sports, right? On the one hand, if you view college as a collective enterprise, that's a wonderful thing, right? Keep People get to run track and swim and do all sorts of things because – lots and lots of people around the country want to watch Michigan football. On the other hand, there's the rather sharp argument, why should rich kids get to play lacrosse? Because people want to watch young black kids essentially play basketball, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not an obvious argument. Um, I I tend to think college should be a collective educational enterprise. And so, um, and that's obviously because I'm an educator. And so, so to me, it's not as, um, as unattractive, but but I take his point. But the other point about the money is not just that it's shared across sports. It's that the very wealthy colleges end up just having to look for ways to spend money, right? So Michigan builds a gorgeous new facility and a gorgeous new weight room that, you know, competes with the best weight rooms in the country. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like Michigan's not running a profit. It's as though you and I had to look for ways to make sure that we never save money. So every year we just... <laughs> did something new to our house just to right. do it. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, we hired a new, we hired a new gardener because we just can't show a profit. And so that turns a lot of people off. Um, you know, the escalating arms races in, you know, does your weight room have a barber's room and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. <laughs> um, on the flip side, you know, Chuck is right about a lot of things, not least of which the money can blind us because a few universities, Michigan, Texas, Alabama, are flirting with hundreds, you know, hundred million dollars mm-hmm. uh, of surplus, but we forget that the vast majority of colleges actually do not make and cannot afford this. Right? 
Um, the vast majority of colleges run athletic programs because they think athletics should be a part of education. Of course, they also do it because it attracts attention, because it's good for them. You know, if you're Davidson and you go on a run with Steph Curry, more people know who you are. Gonzaga is now a national name. Sure. I, I'm not pretending it's altruistic, but the vast majority of colleges are running an athletic program because they think athletics, music, art, and literature are all part of a healthy education, and they don't make money. Um, to that, some people said, look, they're not even playing the same game, right? I mean, the, you know, the Power Five conferences are just a different sort of thing. And that leads us directly to Chuck's question. Is the world we want one where a certain group of colleges are more or less a minor league mm -hmm. um, sports programs? And I, that's where fundamentally I find it unattractive. I, I just don't think... Um, that our greatest goal should be having Michigan and Alabama and UCLA subsidize billionaire owners in the NFL and the NBA. I, I just, I just don't care about them. And I think, you know, to the extent that we continue to professionalize these young men, just as Chuck said, I don't think we're doing them any favors in terms of their actual education. Um, and, and there, his sympathies and mine align. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about the future of college sports. Uh, we'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. we got a lot of social media comments to get to. If you want to join on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number here. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest right now is Echo Yanka. He is a professor of law at the Cardoza School of Law at Yeshiva University in New York. We're talking about college sports, the future of college sports, and whether the status of student-athletes uh, should or is about to change pretty radically, as opposed to being amateurs who are only allowed to get compensation for their educations and other costs, will they end up being employees of universities? Will they end up making real money for the athletic performances uh, that they turn in week after week uh, while they're in college? And the bigger question is, should they? Is college sports broken because of the way uh, the athletes toil almost for free and the amount of money that uh, almost everybody else involved is allowed to make. Is there something fundamentally unfair about that? Or are you somebody who thinks that uh, the amateurism in college sports is in, an important part of it and that uh, the focus on education, for instance, for student-athletes should make them a little different from professional athletes. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. We want to hear from you. What do you think about this whole idea of changing the status of college athletes, of 
compensating them better for what they do on the football field or the basketball court. Um, do you do you fear, or are you someone who fears that uh, doing that would really ruin the whole idea or the whole majesty, I guess, of of college sports? Think of all of the the sort of lore and uh, cultural currency I think we all attach to the idea of uh, college sports as opposed to professional. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to include you. Uh, I want to read some social media comments. We've got quite a few. Carl on Twitter says, There needs to be a two-tier system. Big-time college sports is big business, and students should share in that business. For smaller schools and other sports than basketball and football, the students are still amateurs. Uh, Free the People on Twitter says, There are some 80,000 college football players generating money for their colleges. There are 1,696 pro players making an average of only $1.9 million for that multi-billion dollar professional industry. So there is a huge difference in compensation and opportunity. Uh, Trey in Detroit says this makes him think about the Britney Spears conservatorship story, a story that also came out yesterday. This is, he says this is another story where we don't allow the people who are generating revenue to access or control it. It's not it's not right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. Great topic. I'm taking this in a different direction, but parallel to the, the topic. Okay. My daughter received a scholarship after she graduated Michigan State, and she had four or five colleges offering her uh, further education. Michigan came up with the best deal. They gave her a scholarship. And they actually paid her to go to class to do some research. And she was working with Pfizer and different chemical companies and uh, pharmaceuticals. And they paid her. Now, what's the difference between that and a college athlete uh, getting compensation for his uh, working somewhere else or working mm. for the university in, 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 his, in his mode? Mm. Uh, it's a parallel, but, you know, they didn't question my daughter. I, I, I worked my way through college at Wayne State, paid for my education. They didn't ask me where I got the money. Mm. So, so Harry, I think that's a really wonderful example to, to to bring up. Can you give us an idea of how that compensation worked? In other words, was she paid for her time? Uh, was she paid for the outcomes of her research? Like, how did they how did they decide what she was being paid for? You still there, well, Harry? And work on okay. research, and then she had part time jobs with Pfizer and working with uh, with pigs and different kind of. Uh, procedures that uh, they, they actually she was an employee and then she finally got her phd went to arizona uh, state university yeah and uh, got a job there as a professor and now she's working in private industry but there was a lot of compensation there that uh, along the way yeah, yeah. H- harry i really appreciate the call and uh, that example uh, uh, professor yanka i mean that uh, that's a really interesting parallel there are lots of students on college campuses who are doing things that make money one way or another for the university, mostly through research, and, and they do get compensated. Is that a, is that a fair parallel with the, the student-athlete? Well, first, let me just say, um, was that Harry who was on the line? Uh-huh, yes. 
let me just say congratulations. You know, your daughter getting her PhD, <laughs> yeah, right, and now that's right. a lot to be proud of there. Um, no, look, it's a great parallel. And in fact, that's you know, in some real ways, that brings us right back to the case, right? His example is exactly the kind of thing the Supreme Court said the NCAA cannot put the kibosh on, right? So, you know, what the court said was the NCAA is still going to be permitted to make rules as to what counts as an educational uh, expense. So it has to count as an educational expense, right? Neil Gorsuch, who wrote the majority opinion, kind of in a quippish or clever line said the NCAA doesn't have to lie down and allow Lamborghini bonuses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't say, you know, to the young quarterback or the young running back or the point guard, we're going to pay you points per game. Um, But you can presumably now give them money for on-campus research that's educationally required or, um, you know, frankly, some of this has already been being done, right? So in in the last decades or so, some schools have been allowed to give, or most schools have been allowed to give extra bonuses for academic accomplishment, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's going to be a bit of an arms race, exactly as he pointed out, to, you know, stretch the term educational benefit, right? So the internship probably counts, and there'll have to be some policing of empty internships, but internships strike most of us as you know, core to the educational experience are quite mm-hmm. um, quite normal. Uh, what about the foreign exchange program, right? So again, the Supreme Court's case went all the way back in history to when kids, you know, kids for, who were going to play football for Harvard, Yale, or or um, or wherever were getting flown to Cuba for fun, right. Right? right? So, you know, is this a boondoggle? You know, this is not so different than private practice. Is this a boondoggle or is this a trip that's really actually related to your research? Um, and the NCAA is going to have to define that. So his example, in fact, by the way, yeah, for those, uh, since I'm talking to hometown in a way, mm-hmm. for those mm-hmm. interested, uh, Michigan's own fielding HEO makes an appearance in, <laughs> in the, the decision. In the ruling, yeah, he was a he was a law student one week at West Virginia, and then suddenly showed up to play football for another team, right? <laughs> where he transferred for all of a week and a half or something, and after the game, he was right back at West Virginia. So you know, there's going to have to be. Um, it's nothing new, but it's hypercharged that there's going to have to be some policing about what it means for something to be an educational benefit. And Harry's example is a really good one. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to Colleen in Detroit. Colleen, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for your time. Thank you both. Um, I work in higher education and have been following this pretty closely. And I would love to hear both of you um, share a little bit more about something you touched on earlier, this idea that for most schools, athletics is considered this component of a holistic education, right? But in the higher education field, a lot of colleges and universities are shifting more toward kind of almost a vocational prep school model, very, very career-oriented, less intellectually oriented. Mm -hmm. That's not an inherently bad thing. But this decision brings with it this question of what is our intellectual identity? What is the the definition of student-athlete? What do we mean when we say student and how do we reconcile that with someone who might have a de facto professional career while studying at this college or university? I think that's a, a real challenge to administrators um, 
and to faculty advocates. So I would, yeah. I would love to hear more discussion of that. Colleen, that's great context to add to this to this conversation because you're absolutely right that the higher education experience is changing for lots of people right now, I think, uh, because of the way that we think of higher ed and its value. There, there is almost a, a, a sense of vocational kinds of training. I mean, this idea, for instance, that uh, students who, are, who want to major in business at the University of Michigan are now allowed to apply to that business school in their freshman year and, and spend four years uh, just doing that work and far less of the, the sort of humanities work and, and, and broader educational requirements that, that used to exist. I mean, that, that is something that's happening in, in lots of different places, not just at, at the University of Michigan, but, but all over. And maybe this, maybe this fits into that, that narrative as, as something that says you're here to prepare for a career and not necessarily to expand uh, the intellectual uh, curiosity of your mind or things like that. Uh, Professor Yanka, what do you think of that idea? I, I, look, Colleen's really hitting me where the heart is, and this is precisely uh, why I mean, this and the racial overtones are, are the most important parts of this issue to me, right? Um, at the end of the day, I, I think there's, there can be contempt for college athletics from two directions, right? They're the people who say, who cares? These guys are just student athletes. They, you know, let's, you know, they're not here for this. They're different than they're not here to learn. And I find that sad. Um, look, I've known lots of college student-athletes, and, you know, in the same way that people can be dismissive about whether or not um, a scientist cares about literature or your taxi cab driver cares about politics, I find it sad that we think these student-athletes are somehow uninterested in their education. Look, you don't have to... You don't have to major in quantum physics to be a smart and valuable contributor to a university, mm-hmm. right? The dance major might more or less spend most of their time in dance, but they take a philosophy class. They take a literature class, right? Somebody can be there to play music and still learn a little bit about science. Sometimes people used to joke about, you know, rocks for jocks or, you know, biology for, <laughs> you know, biology for non-science majors. And I think that can be quite contemptuous, right? There's nothing wrong with a business major. Indeed, business would be all the better, I think, if people had a moment to care about, you know, Aristotle. Um, And that doesn't mean you have to be a snob about it. It doesn't mean that the only education that's worth having is the Princeton or Oxford model from 200 years ago. It's to say there's something valuable about a world in which you can be focused on your core project, but understand that part of college is uh, sampling, broadening, a breadth of education. And so that, that brings me really entirely in agreement with, with Colleen. Um, I just think we should preserve that part of college. Now, let me just say lastly, to the extent that there are going to be some people who are only edu- only focused on their vocation, as she mm-hmm. mentioned, that might be fine too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you know, we should think of that as a separate kind of project, right? So there's nothing, you know, if you go to an engineering school or trade school and your your goal is to become an engineer or mechanic, and that's really your focus, you know, I hold that in no lesser esteem. I, I think there's something that's maybe a little missing. I think it's, I think most people thirst for a little bit of breath. Um, 
But there's just lots of conceptions of the good life, and that's fine. And I think if that's the kind of athlete you are, you step on campus, you know that your only project, your only project is basketball. Um, that may be fine for you, but we shouldn't corrupt our colleges and their chase for money for that. That's a great reason for us to reimagine and invest in minor league programs, right? right? That's a great reason why the NBA, which it's now doing, should invest more in the G League. That's a great reason, as Tom Brady's trying to start, for there to be a minor league football program. I have no, no problem with young men getting paid for their skills. I have no problem with people chasing that project. I just don't think we should change Michigan or MSU or Western into those minor leagues. Let's have minor leagues for minor leagues. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Echo Yanka, professor of law at the Cardozo, Cardozo Law School at Yeshiva University in New York. It was really great to have you here with us for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It's always good to be, uh, even if only by phone, back home. <laughs> That's right. You are also a graduate of the University of Michigan. I know that. Okay, uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk with Michigan Opera Theater, which is ready to bring its Opera in the Park series back to Detroit. We're going to talk with two people who are helping to organize this series in the post-pandemic summer. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.